You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear Saints, Merry Christmas. Thank you. We behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. In the season of Christmas especially, we rejoice that the Son of God has become our brother and our Savior, and that by His death, He has made a way for us to be part of His own family. We're going to work through that theme this morning, especially by considering the epistle lesson from Galatians chapter 4. Now, uh, by way of introduction, as we study our Bibles and we make this Bible our book of books, we want to spend a lot of time, with, especially with St. Paul, because he imparts to us a spiritual wisdom. Remember, there's two types of wisdom. There's an earthly wisdom, and there is a spiritual, heavenly wisdom. Now, earthly wisdom has to do with the things of this life. Heavenly wisdom has to do with things of life eternal. Earthly wisdom has to do with sorting out how things should go in our family, or how things should go in the state. In fact, Uh, We even need earthly wisdom to sort out how to run things in the church, how to keep the heat on and things like that. Now, if you'll let me run a little while with this distinction between earthly literature or wisdom and heavenly wisdom, it's the wisdom, it's the earthly wisdom that gets us things like great art and literature. It's er It's earthly wisdom that sorts out how to have indoor plumbing and cell phones. Earthly wisdom helps us to be good husbands or good wives, good parents and children, good friends, good neighbors, good doctors, good rulers, good students, and good teachers. There's an earthly wisdom to help us figure out how to get more done or how to be better people. I think most of us today will go through an exercise of earthly wisdom. We'll think back over this last year, 2017. We'll think of the good parts. We'll think of the bad parts. And we'll make plans with our families for a better year next year. We'll make plans to be better people. Resolutions, we call them. And really, this means that we want to be less fools and more wise. We want to have more earthly wisdom. I I was reading an article yesterday that talked about how keeping our resolutions is not necessarily about the strength of our willpower, but rather about our emotions, and especially gratefulness and compassion and confidence. This is interesting. That if you want to keep your resolutions, if you can bind them up to those emotions, especially if you can bind them up to gratefulness, you're more likely to follow through with things. If you're thankful, it's easier to keep your promises to yourself. Now, that is a particularly interesting piece of earthly wisdom. I, I, by the way, am all for resolutions. In fact, I make resolutions every week. I make a little list of habits that I want to work on that week. That way I get the frustration of New Year's every week. <laughs> now, you don't have to make resolutions today, but, but all of us should be in pursuit of more earthly wisdom. And we should find it in the Scriptures. The Bible is full of wisdom for our day-to-day lives. In fact, there's more wisdom there than we could even imagine. But... Most importantly, we should know the limits of earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom can help for this life. But there is a spiritual wisdom that is entirely different 
And that gets us to the life to come. And these two types of wisdom are distinct from each other, as distinct as philosophy and theology, as distinct as law and gospel. I picked up, just in the last couple of weeks, a handful of Christian books, uh, some popular ones, and I've looked through them, and I've realized this, that most books that are under the banner of Christian books are really books about having earthly wisdom. Now, it's fine. It's, It's fine for what it is. But that is not the main thing. Scriptures teach us of Christ and Christ and his apostles and his prophets. These are given to us not chiefly to make us wise according to the earthly wisdom, but to make us wise unto salvation, to impart to us a heavenly wisdom. This is the wisdom that the world calls foolishness, but that we know as the wisdom of God himself. And this is why Paul writes, all of his letters to the churches, and why the Holy Spirit has preserved them for us today, so that we would have a spiritual wisdom, a heavenly wisdom, so that we would have the knowledge of salvation. There is another name for this heavenly wisdom. We call it simply theology. Or, if you like, the proper distinction between law and gospel. That is heavenly wisdom. And this is why St. Paul's epistles are so dense. He's teaching us theology. He imparts a heavenly wisdom. And for us who are used to seeking after and who are used to hearing earthly wisdom, sometimes it's tough plotting. But it's good for us. We want to note this about Paul, that he wants to make every single one of us a theologian. That he wants to give to us the wisdom of, that leads to life eternal. And as Paul does this, it's another thing to note about St. Paul himself, he, he teaches us with pictures or with images. We ought to be able, when we read St. Paul, all of his letters, we ought to be able to see what he's saying just as well as we hear it. That's true, especially with the epistle lesson that we have today. He's painting a picture. And to get the picture, we need, to, we need a little bit of background. So I'll do my best to get us there with a historical background that will make the epistle lesson make sense. The the first thing to to remember is this. St. Paul talks about freedom and slavery, and, and we have to do a little bit of work because the way we think of slavery is different than the Scriptures think of slavery. Our idea of slavery is mostly based on race, and this is utterly wicked and condemned in the Bible. This is the idea that evolution would teach us, that some people are more human, more developed than other people. And this idea is completely foreign to the Scriptures. All people, the Bible says, no matter what color, no matter their ancestry, all people are descendants from two, Adam and Eve. And in fact, all are descendants from Noah and his wife. All of us, all people, in every place, are related to one another so that there is no place for anything even getting close to a racism for Christians. In fact, I don't even think that there's anything good that comes in terms of thinking of race, at least according to the Scriptures. We recognize each and every single person as a person, and the full weight of human dignity which God accounts to each person, we also account to them. Now that's from the Bible. But the Bible also speaks of slavery, so how can that be? 
Slavery in the Bible is, is mostly an economic arrangement. You could also be a slave if you were part of a, if you were a prisoner of war. So you, if you were captured and taken away into a place. Now, there were manservants and there were maidservants. That is, people who were bound to a family or to a farm or to a place to work. If you owed money that you couldn't pay, then you could make yourself a servant to the borrower to pay off your debt through work. And, and when you became a slave to the person, they were also obligated to take care of you, to provide you a place to live, to provide for you and for your family food and clothing and, in fact, education. Now, that's going to be important for the text. When you paid off your debt, you could go free. Or, in fact, the Bible had a way that when you finished paying off the debt you owed to the borrower, you could put yourself as a permanent slave to the home. And the way you would do it, I don't know why, but the way you would do it is you would go and stand against the door and the master would pierce your earlobe with an awl and you would become a permanent servant of the home. Now, this, this is a common arrangement, not just in biblical Israel, but all throughout the ancient world. There were, uh, uh, there were uh, slaves always working in all the different homes. But in Israel, there were a number of laws and provisions which the Lord gave to Moses regarding how servants would be treated, and their wives would be treated, and the children would be treated, especially in Israel. Now, these are interesting, but most especially for us, one of the most important laws was the law of redemption. And the law said something like this. If you were a servant, but you had a relative there who had enough money to pay your own debt, that relative of yours could come and pay off your own debt to the person you were enslaved to, and you would be, by law, required to be set free. And that, that payment of your debt on your behalf, in your name, to your master, that payment is called redemption. We think of redemption as a theological word, and it is. But it is first a word having to do with economics and slavery and freedom. And it's important to note that this, that when you're redeemed, it's not because you've paid off your own debt, but it's because the payment of another sets you free. Okay, so that's the first piece of background. The second thing we need to understand, and this maybe is even more difficult for us to get our heads around, and that is that the home in the ancient world was very different than we think of homes. We think of a, our home as a place that's private, a place for ourselves and a place for our families. Now, this was not the case in the ancient world. Homes were much more public. There was people coming and going. And there was more than just your relatives living in the home. There would be the mother and the father. There would be the grandparents and the children. But there would be staff, home staff field staff, manservants and maidservants and their families. And some of them lived in the home. Some of them had other homes for themselves and they would come to the estate to work. And the school was at the home. And most often, a tutor was hired by the father to come and teach the children. And all of the children would go and sit for their lessons. The children of the father, the children of the home, but also the children of all of the manservants and maidservants and all of the workers in the home or in the field. All of the children would come to the same school and sit for the same lessons. The free children and the slave children would all sit together and they would all obey the tutor and they would all be under various guardians appointed by the father. And, and the children 
Both the children of the father and the children of the servants were all treated the same until they grew up and reached a certain age appointed by the father until they graduated. And then the servants would go on to their labors as servants and the children of the father would go on to the free work of ruling in the home and having authority and so forth. Now, that, that is really what we need to get to the text. Because Paul talks about this. The children and the slaves, although that one is the heir of all things and the other is a bondservant, they are the same until the appointed time. Now, imagine this. Imagine that you are born in the ancient world and you are born the son of slave parents. You grow up as a slave. Your parents are slaves and you know that your entire life you will be a slave. You go to school with the children of your master. You know them, and you call them by name, and you play with them, but they are different. You know they're different from you. You, after all, are a slave, and you will always be one, and these children will be free. But imagine this. Imagine, even though you are a slave and a servant in this house, you have a relative, maybe an uncle, someone, who's a free man. And for reasons that you cannot understand, this one loves you, especially loves you. Now, this uncle of yours has a child, a baby. And he brings that child to your master. And he says to him, take this child as the price for that slave's redemption. And your master takes to be his own slave, this child, and you are sent free. You are redeemed. And you're adopted into the house of another. Now, something like that is what's happening in the picture that St. Paul wants to put before us. Now, I'll read the lesson and see if you can see it. St. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 4, verse 1, these words. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Christ Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary. He was born under the law. He was born to bear the curse. And all of this so that He could redeem you, so that He could pay the price to set you free, not with gold or silver, but with His holy, precious blood, with His innocent suffering and death. Now imagine it. Your own works cannot set you free. There's there's no way to get out of this slavery, but you were bought with a price. The price of Jesus' life the price of Jesus' suffering, the price of Jesus' blood, the price of his death. 
This is your redemption. And by it, you are set free. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we, children of wrath, sons of the devil himself, should be called the children of God. And you are. You are God's children. Not children of slavery, but children of freedom. Like Jesus says, if the Son sets you free, you will be free. Indeed. And you are free. Now, we all have, and this is, uh, it's difficult for us to even see this. We have to learn it from the spiritual wisdom of the Scriptures. We all have in our own flesh a particular love of slavery. We know that we are slaves and that we owe a certain debt to God, to justice, to right and wrong, or whatever it is, so that we find ourselves all of our lives working and striving to set ourselves free. This is the mark of every other religion, in fact, that we find out there in the world. It is a religion of slavery where people are working to impress God and set themselves free. But we have a different doctrine, a different teaching, a different wisdom. And it is this. You cannot free yourself, but Jesus Christ has set you free. He has won it by his death and given us this gift. Now, Paul will make the uh, application of this great gift in this way. Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You cry out to God, not my master or my judge, but our father. And you look to God, not as the punisher or the lawgiver, but as the kind father who gives you all that you need. You have been adopted into the family of Jesus. <laughs> and this is your hope and your peace. This is the wisdom of Christmas. That Jesus, who is God's only begotten Son, has taken upon your flesh and blood so that He can be your brother and your Redeemer and your Savior. So that you can be adopted into His family. So that you can inherit with Him eternal life, so that you have in front of you not a life of bondage and slavery, but rather a life of freedom and hope and peace. This is the gift that Jesus brings for us. And this peace passes all human understanding. It is a heavenly wisdom taught by the Holy Spirit for you. May God send us His Holy Spirit so that we would be marked by this wisdom. So that we would rejoice in the redemption won for us by Christ. So that we would delight 
in being sons of the Father. And so that all of us would at last come into this inheritance, the inheritance of the sons of light. May God grant it for Christ's sake. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.